starting in three, two, one. Hi, I'm Marcy. And I'm Akko. And welcome to the Color Pages Book Club, a bi-weekly podcast that focuses on fiction, fantasy, and magical realism written by writers from colorful backgrounds. Yeah, colorful backgrounds. That's right, y'all. And today, we are going to be reading my pick, which is On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Vuong. So... Just to give a little background. <laughs> You're like, are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> this is um, what's happening. <laughs> <laughs> We're really excited to read this. I mean, this book has gotten a lot of notoriety, so that's really cool. And also, it's just really gorgeously written. Um, very no, poetic. It's, oh my, it's so fucking, oh my, oh my God. We'll talk about it. We will. So, um, the author is a recipient of the 2019 McCarthy Genius Grant. So, look at that. A genius. Fuck it up! <laughs> right. He is also the author of the critically acclaimed poetry collection, Night Sky with Exit Wounds, which is also a beautiful name. Mm. All of his titles are so poignant and yet right. c- concise. I know we're like at the beginning of the show, so starting off by talking about the economy of words is like a little too much. But (laughs) (laughs) y'all literally just got into your seats. Like, can we like start? Like, shit. But also, night sky with exit wounds sounds like he's talking about the stars in the sky, and yet to hear stars described as exit wounds is really interesting. Um. Anyway, his work has been featured in the Atlantic. Harper's, The Nation, New Republic, The New Yorker, The New York Times, The Paris Review, The Village Voice, just to name a few. He was born in Saigon and raised in Hartford, Connecticut, to a working-class family. He was educated at Manchester Community College before transferring to Pace University to study international marketing. And then he dropped out of business school and enrolled in Brooklyn College, where he graduated with a BA in 19th century American literature. Yes! And then he, I know, right? Like, Okay, uh, and then he <laughs> received his MFA in poetry from NYU, so... That is that. And he currently lives in Massachusetts, and he's an associate professor in the MFA program for poets and writers at uh, UMass Amherst. So there you go, y'all. A little background on the author. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, I know, right? I love that he's like, yeah, business school, not, we're not doing that. I love the focus on on the arts instead. Not saying they have to be mm. mutually exclusive, but I do love that. Mm. that I, I, I just love that narrative a lot. Also, I'd imagine like studying marketing and, and all of that was also very helpful throughout his career too. So I, I just feel like narratives like these are just, I, I love seeing the the backgrounds and being like, ah, oh, yes, you all are like whole ass people with like whole pasts and like pivots and things. And, you know, like right. it's just, it's nice to see that kind of just like become accessible in, in, in that way. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Right. And like the journey to being an artist is not a linear journey. It's kind of just happens. Right. And I think there's something here, something subversive, right? About you're an immigrant and you want to be successful, quote unquote, and you want to make sure the American dream becomes a quote unquote reality. And you think that works a certain way. And, you know, there's like three professions. This is the famous thing for immigrants, right? Like doctor, lawyer, mm. business person. <laughs> and so you, there's always that struggle, right? To make the journey worth it. But then, you know, that conflicts often with your passion. And so it's beautiful that he was like, you know what? I'm going to go with my passion. <laughs> and yeah. It worked out. Okay. So, um, before we get into the summary, Marcy, I know this yeah, is a yes. surprise. 
<laughs> um, I have a question. <laughs> um, woo? What question mark? Um, what is your question? Um, I had like a whole spiel going, and then you're just like, "Yes," and I was like, so like endeared to this that I like, got thrown off. Okay, uh, my question <laughs> is, <laughs> um. As you, as we know, you know, poetry is very, like we said, it's very specific, intentional with its wording. And so mm-hmm. Ocean is a poet. Um, and so the title of this book, On Earth, is briefly gorgeous. I'm sure has a lot of underlying meaning. So I wanted to ask you, what does it mean to be briefly gorgeous? Oh, my God. Um... um um, I feel like I'm like back in school where I'm just like, oh God, um, how do I respond to this question? Um, let's see, to be briefly gorgeous. There are so many interpretations I have of that. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, to start from like a literal one, I mean, I think we could say, for instance, you know, we do live in a very like ageist, youth obsessed culture. And so like the idea of youth being ephemeral, youth only lasting for so long, like being briefly mm. gorgeous in that sense, you could take that take to it. I imagine it could also be like a metaphor for life itself, like the, you know, the nature of life itself being brief. And so like to be alive, to have like had all the weird micro details come together to even exist on this planet, like and to just be briefly existed is to like be briefly gorgeous. I feel like that could be an interpretation mm. too. Um, I like that one. I'm there was another one I want to cite. Um, to be briefly gorgeous, there was an oh my gosh, this is gonna bother me. There was literally another one I was going to say. Um, I think there's also maybe one here around perhaps like a like a loss of innocence type of thing, where it's sort of like, um, mm. maybe this maybe circles back to the youth piece a little bit, but like to. I I find that for many of us, like as life goes on, we can sometimes be hardened to the detail, like just hardened to the reality of life. And and, certainly that's not everyone's narrative, but like, I think that's one that people that I think a lot of people like kind of as they get older, like, yeah, like this shit is just, it's kind of rough. Like, you know, it's it's just like kind of a lot going on. And so I think maybe gorgeousness is sort of this state of being, you're just feeling maybe a bit more wondrous in who we are, perhaps like sort of like in, in a state of innocence or so. Um, granted, I'm I of those three, I, I kind of like I like the second one the best as far as like just us just being on on the planet. But yeah, I I, I feel like there's like a number of different ways to read it. And I kind of like want to read it the the second way that like it is sort mm. of like to be existent is to be to be gorgeous, even if it's if if if, if it's only brief. Um, so. Yeah. Hmm. What do you think? Hmm. I like your answers. They're very, very good. Um, <laughs> very thoughtful. <laughs> Thanks, friend. I picking up on your your last one, right? Um, I remember we talked about in the whale writer about wonder for things to be wonderful, and mm-hmm. um, even in the death of Vivek, uh, for something to be beautiful. Not just beautiful, but beautiful. Mm. Um, I think that I get the same feeling from the word gorgeous. Not just mm-hmm. beautiful, but gorgeous. There's such a reverence for it. Mm-hmm. And a reverence for something that's hard, which is life. Mm-hmm. Life is hard, and it, and it can be really ugly. 
and really painful. And it, sometimes you, you, you curse living at all. And sometimes mm-hmm. you hold, and, and while simultaneously at the same time, uh, cursing being alive at all, hold on desperately to being alive. Mm. Um, and it's messy and it's mean and it's hard. And I think in this book, the author is exactly talking about that difficulty, but he, he wants to express, and I think this is true and it's painful, that as painful as it's been, it's been wonderful to be alive. Not, not mm. happy, not content, not, not pleasant. Mm. But, right? It, 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 is to, it is a way of holding both the pain and the beauty of being alive without mm. having to erase how painful it is. Something's gorgeous. It doesn't have to be pleasant. <laughs> it's not, right. You know? It's, so to say we're briefly gorgeous, I think this goes to your second point, like to, to live, to be alive, to have lived at all. Mm-hmm. Brief, we're finite beings. This sort of aggregation of all of us is 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 beautiful. But in that beauty, that gorgeousness, it's so complex. And mm-hmm. all of that, it's it's almost like a like a like a big bang, right? <laughs> this, or or later in the book, he talks about being: is he a person or an echo? You know, it's mm. when I think of briefly gorgeous, I think of a comet going across the sky, or or a flash and then nothing, or or an echo ringing through something. It's mm-hmm. ethereal and almost intangible, and yet so very much there. And I think that's what I—that's the imagery I get. So, mm. anyway, that's what I thought. I, I love that. That's so interesting because it kind of brings up the question of like, is the idea of of being beautiful, gorgeous, something that has to be always? time stamped like that like the beauty of seeing a comet is the fact that we don't see that often and that it's like it's like this fleeting moment it's like you, you it's just it's is there and then it's just as quickly not there and it's like is there something here about something something being ephemeral being a quality of of, of like one of the i don't want to say prerequisites but perhaps like to, to having something be truly mm. considered gorgeous because even you know when we think about youth right like it's just like that's like the 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 part that people again under that age of schema is like oh well this is fleeting like it, you know it's there and then it's not and then all of a sudden you're just not you just don't subscribe to that anymore right and so and then in a, in a, in a bigger sense i'm like I, I guess i guess it makes me ask the question like for something to be like stationary to be mundane to just be ever present like can that still be gorgeous and i'm like well if you zoom out of just like a human lifespan in general, it's like, I mean, like we are just truly a blip, like just like here mm-hmm. very briefly and then we get the fuck. And so it's like, maybe, yeah, it's just, it, it makes me just think of this meta, like life itself is just almost like hilariously short. Like it's just like, oh, mm. LOL, like y'all are here for y'all. Oh, you think there's a whole arc to girl? <laughs> y'all are here for like literally two nanoseconds, uh, n- like a like a fraction of a fifteenth of a nanosecond. Like the Earth's life cycle. My God, um, they're like, like y'all girl, literally just got here. Trees older than you, <laughs> child. Trees older than j- whole generations of motherfuckers. Y'all, like, girl, and y'all what? Think, and it's it's. I think that's that's what it is, right? I think you've hit on something. You know, infinity is gorgeous in its own way. It must be. But it, it might even transcend gorgeousness because can a human really comprehend infinity? Or is it even some, is comprehension even something that's just completely anthropomorphizing anyway? Like by mm. talking about comprehension at all. So like gorgeous 
the, the finite is gorgeous to humans because we are finite. The limit of our existence is our finality. Mm-hmm. And so I think, I think you're right, right? Things are gorgeous because they, they don't last because nothing lasts. Right. Um, but I think if you're talking, I mean, a, a whole life could be gorgeous, right? Like someone's whole life. In fact, most, how do I say this? Because I don't want to say that if you have a hard life, it's not gorgeous. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I think that's kind of his point, right? Like, I, I don't think ocean is, because, so just to like, I guess, show our hand a little bit. Um, Ocean's mother and grandmother are from Vietnam and his grandmother and mother in particular had to go through the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. The Vietnam War is not a beautiful time, <laughs> nor is it a beautiful. Ex- I don't think anyone would express that time as as beautiful. It's a horrendous. Um, uh, right. America's behavior was horrendous. The, the the genocide that happened as a part of that war were horrendous, and and the the difficulties people faced were were so difficult. Although I'm sure there are people who who are in Vietnam who are like, yeah, but there were other beautiful things. So you know, don't diminish our existence either. And I agree with that. But um. Mm-hmm. But I think that's his point is 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 to write about a whole life, whatever that life is, being with with reverence. Mm-hmm. And and you're right, like it, people pass, and so we don't live forever. But but what if we like make a meaning out of that finiteness? We give a value, and and he's saying that this this finite thing is beautiful. Anyway, mm. um, I might have lost the thread a little. Do you want to take a break and then we can get into the summary? (laughs) Let's do it. So, um, yeah, we'll take a break, come back, and then get into the plot summary of part one of On Earth We Are Briefly Gorgeous. That was a lot of energy. We excited today, mm-hmm. apparently. Um, yeah. But yes. So now let's get to on Earth. We are briefly gorgeous. Um, I don't know. Something about the word gorgeous makes you just be like, ah, oh, gorgeous. Like you got you to like, you mm. know, just like emphasize a little bit. It's just, it's just so fun. Anyway, so let's get into the book. <laughs> oh, one, <laughs> one thing before we start. Um, trigger warning. For a couple of things, war, rape, violence, feeling uncomfortable about your immigrant experience being reflected in a reality that you try to push deep down inside of yourself that you don't have to think about. What? Okay, Marcy. <laughs> oh, <laughs> real? No, that is that is very real. Also, um, trigger warning for child abuse as well. Um, that's going to be oh, good call a theme a theme as well. Um, and so yeah, just. Take care of yourselves. Um, well, remember when we tried to get out of talking about child abuse with um, <laughs> the other book, and now somehow we ended up back in child abuse. Like it's the literal next book, like the actual, actual next book. Wild. But the difference here, and we we can talk about this maybe in the discussion. But I, I feel like the depiction is very is very different. Um, yeah, I, and it's I much agree. more just, yeah, just much more nuanced and, and, and complex. And so 
Yeah, but we'll we'll get into that. Y'all are like, what? Okay, let's just jump into the book. Okay. <laughs> so first, let's let's just set some some context. So essentially, the entire book is basically a, like a giant letter um, that's mm-hmm. written, but that's written by a son to his mother. Um, now, his mother, um, the, the letter's written in English. His mother does not like read or write in English, um, does not understand English. And so like, it's one of those things where like the point of it is that like he's writing it because he knows that she can never read it or fully understand it. So in that there's mm-hmm. kind of allowed more potential for truth than to just be very brutally honest because it's like, Oh, like you, you do not, you're not going to understand this anyway. So the main character, um, the son in question who's writing this letter, we don't know, we don't fully know his name, or at least uh, at this point, we don't know his name, but like he's referred to as Little Dog. Um, that's like what everyone calls him, like his mother, his grandmother. And so we sort of see his, his upbringing growing up with his mother and his grandmother, Lan, all of whom escaped Vietnam like shortly after his birth um, and about 13 mm-hmm. years after the Vietnam War. Now, essentially, the book, so <laughs> this is giving, it gives a little bit, um, oh my gosh, what was that book? All Boys Aren't Blue? Okay. Like, mm-hmm. it kind of gives this a little bit in the sense that, like, you know, kind of similar to that book, it's sort of like Slice of Life, kind of goes into these different vignettes, these different stories. And so there's not like a one sort of cohesive narrative. There is, actually, there is one that kind of develops like halfway through part one, but Akko will more so get into that. But essentially, the letter towards sort of at the beginning kind of just talks about the complexity of, you know, little dog growing up with his mom in in Hartford, mm-hmm. Connecticut, and the many ways in which that she was like, like he described her as like a monster in, in many respects, like being both physically and, emo- and emotionally abusive, but also at the same time being like a source of comfort, being can be very nurturing as well. And so it, even funny, you know, and so just kind of like going through sort of the complexity of like growing up in that type of space. So, mm-hmm. for instance, you know, there are anecdotes about, you know, them going to Six Flags, like, you know, shopping at Goodwill, you know, going on these trips to the mall where it was like, you know, they got dressed to the nines and were like very much giving like, you know, opulence um, <laughs> just because, you know, for, out, out of this theme that like, you know, how we look is going to very much translate to, you know, how folks are going to treat us and, and, and perceive us. So that also peppered in with stories of like, you know, physical abuse of um, both Little Dog's mother and Lan, his grandmother, like, living with PTSD. Lan herself, his grandmother, has um, schizophrenia, so also kind of, like, navigating her mental illness and, like, what that means. And so the family in question is is pretty poor, and, like, his mom was actually in nail tech and and yeah she she didn't speak english and with and that in itself was actually a really huge source of for, of frustration for her because right. it's already you know you're already not, like in a country that that's that's foreign to you and then at the same time it's like you it, it's like you don't necessarily have the ability to to communicate with everyone around you and so it's just like mm-hmm. just really really frustrating basically kind of just gets into sort of the dynamics of like immigrant realities um also juxtaposed with just like you know american sort of like capitalism and, and and fuckery racism you know all that all that all that fun stuff of stuff. um the u.s and so so yes yeah, so that's essentially kind of what is giving now a little bit more information on little dog so he is very he he, he he's very attentive to you know to his mother to his grandmother he's also rather yeah. like just physically speaking he's he's pretty pretty small um also like fairly effeminate and so unfortunately that leads to a lot of like bullying at school because like you know mm. he's both asian and you know homophobia um 
there was actually this really awful scene where like little dog was like on a bus and like he was basically he was like being bullied by these like white boys and they were like yeah just saying really awful things to him and like when he told his mom about it like she resorted to violence you know herself towards him as a way to get him to like to speak up to to, like defend himself like you know things like that and like you know she kind of talks about in situations like when he's being bullied she's like but you speak english though like you can communicate with these people you understand what they're saying like that's such a huge advantage like you need to like use that like don't let these people just like walk all over you essentially um i think she was also mm -hmm. sorry dad like a footnote i think there was also like a feeling of no one is going you know she grew up like (laughs) during the vietnam war and and also you find out later she was bullied as a kid i think there's a sense of like this world isn't going to be fair and they're not going to be nice and you have to fight them or you'll die and and i don't think she even means that unsympathetically i think she Mm. means like though you really you really will die (laughs) um and it's it's harsh um and probably not the most elegant way to deal with the situation but she's definitely speaking out of parenting out of pain and fear right Um, and so she she yeah anyway so that was a footnote marcy continue (laughs) yeah (laughs) no all, all of that all of that right and so it's kind of there's an there's an urgency behind situations like this where it's like we you like there's not the luxury of choice or being able to like you know, like it's just like you gotta get these people off you, like because they will kill you. Very much to Aka's point. Um, and going back to the English thing for a second, you know that that was kind of juxtaposed by, um, or I guess with this scene of um, like little dog, his mom and Land being in like um, this butcher shop, and where they were like his mom and and Land were looking for like oxtail, and they wanted to ask like the um like the i guess like the cashier of the butcher shop like oh like or someone who worked there like oh like where's the oxtail but like they didn't know how to say that and so Mm. they were trying to like act out what it was that they were looking for and then like the people who were working there thought it was like fucking hilarious and so they like called their coworkers, and they were just like laughing at them they were like i can't believe these women are like trying to act as like they're trying to act out these animals and like they're it was just a very like like little dog being there it was just it was just like very overwhelming like humiliating to kind of see all of this happening mm-hmm. and so this kind of was a moment where he was like okay i definitely need to use my leverage of this language to help and i need to not only for myself and speaking up for myself but also like with my family and making sure that like you know in situations like that like they're not forced into situations like this right because right. like but it, it's mm-hmm. well it's also difficult because he's still learning the language like he's but he's still a kid and i think a right. lot of immigrant kids whose parents don't speak the language have this difficulty where you become the translator but you're mm-hmm. like i i and the problem is he doesn't know how to say oxtail in english which right fair i mean like what are the white kids in hartford connecticut gonna teach him oxtail? right like, do they know what <laughs> like, oxtail is right do they know <laughs> and so it's like he's having trouble because his mom looks at him and is like what's this word he's like i don't know the word for oxtail in english. right um and and so there's that stress of both trying to become right because language is something that you learn communally and like through mm. context and while still having to use it, fine tune it so quickly to be able to be of assistance and survival. And that's, right. you know, there's a shame, an unnecessary shame, right? But mm-hmm. a shame all the same. Anyway, continue. Right, exactly. And so all of this is happening. And we also know that, like, we learned, too, that, like, his um, little dog's mom's Vietnamese only goes up to about a second grade level because her school was destroyed 
mm-hmm. in Vietnam because of like U.S. imperialism, and she wasn't actually like allowed to continue in her education. So just like lots of things happening. Um, Little Dog's dad does also u- live in the U.S. Um, he lives instead of in Connecticut, lives in California, um, but they live separately because he is abusive. Mm-hmm. And so there's also just just kind of zooming out for a second, like there's um there's just very much like a trend of abuse in in the family. Um, like so for example, little dog's mom's sister, so I guess his aunt Mai, um, she was also in a really abusive relationship. So there's just like a lot of like like we're very much seeing like the cycles of how it plays out, like you know, like intergenerationally yeah. and, and and things of that nature. And so and not just intergenerationally, also because of the larger patriarchy of like colonialism and violence right like right systemic violence becomes personal violence right uh, or domestic violence again not to diminish the fact that domestic violence happens across the spectrum all different types of people all races all classes but violence moves like through systems through group dynamics right and shows up in 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 a lot of different places. Okay, sorry. Exactly, exactly. So yes, so so that's sort of that. Now, then the book kind of goes into more of a, I guess, I don't want to say narrative because this whole thing is a narrative, but I guess like it kind of, mm-hmm. it, it sort of zooms in a little bit more on Lan's character. So Lan, again, is like um, little, little dog's grandmother. So we sort of see a flashback with her in Vietnam. At the time, she was like 28. And so, and this was happening in like 19... 19- 68 but basically we see like a check uh, a flashback where she's like at a checkpoint with these like american soldiers who are like eating the brain of um a i think you pronounce it macaque macaque monkey how would you pronounce that sure yeah uh, yeah hey, why not so basically they're like eating the <laughs> Look, brain of this can't monkey. Hit all of them right yeah <laughs> <laughs> if it's true, if it, I've learned anything on this fucking planet, it is that. Um, so they're like eating the brain of this monkey because apparently it's supposed to help with like impotence or something. Uh. Also, the monkey was like still alive. You know what? Let, let me not drag it. Let me not drag it. We don't need to go into detail. Basically, that was happening. And Lan was there. And she was there with with her daughter, Mai. So again, little Dong's aunt at the time. Um, and she was like pleading for them like not to shoot. Like they were she, she's just like, please don't shoot, please don't shoot. One of the soldiers who was like in this situation like looks at her and like recognizes her daughter and was like, either this daughter like this might slick be my daughter or at least like the daughter of like one of my comrades. Um and so then from there we kind of see like a further flashback where like we actually learned that Lan um so so the first piece I just said she, Lan was 28. So we go back to when she was 17 and we see that basically she was in a at the time she was actually fleeing a marriage to a, a man that she was that she was with who was about 3 times her age. And after that whole incident like she um and at this at this point she already had she already had my her first her first daughter. I also want to I just want to point out too, just like as a small nuance, like when she runs back to her mom, her mom is like, it's her mom won't let her in. And I think she gives her a little money, but she was like, it's shameful to run away from your husband in our culture at this time. Mm-hmm. And so she like, won't let her back in. So like Lon has no, but I guess what I'm saying is before the Vietnam war or separate from that, there are other social restrictions at play that are causing harm Mm -hmm. And then you add on top of it this other dynamic of harm. And so Lon is stuck in, she's getting the short end of the stick on a lot of social constructs. Mm -hmm. And that's what she's trying to navigate. So I just wanted, I just want to give a lot of space to Lon because she's, she's an amazing person who's going through so much. 
at such a young age. Okay, continue. Yeah. And and she actually chose her, she named herself actually, like after fleeing this marriage. I forgot what her family would call her before. I think they called her seven or something like that. Um, yeah, she was If I remember correctly. Child. But yeah, but she, she decided to name herself after this whole incident. And so and to Aka's point, there's like a lot just at play that's like not really working in Lon's favor. And so... Um, we su- we see soon thereafter that she actually meets an American soldier named Paul, and the two like fall in love like at a bar in in Saigon. Um, now at this point, you know, after fleeing this marriage and everything, you know, Lon was basically forced to sell sex to American soldiers to to survive, and it was just like a very difficult period. Um, and basically, because Lon and Paul sort of you know were dating, and their relationship actually continued. It continued after they both came to the U.S., right? Like that, I, I'm not making shit up. Like that was that was like a that was like a thing. Like yeah, that. it didn't really continue, but I think it's kind of how do I explain it? Um, it's uh, maybe I mean maybe we could say it continued, but it was more like a. It, it kind of ties into the Tiger Woods story, like the two of us know each other from a time that no one else can really understand. Mm. Um, so I don't know if they were still in a relationship, but there's that connection that like can't really die, right. you know. Definitely, definitely. And so, um, long story short, what y'all need to know is that basically Lon told everybody that Paul was Little Dog's grandfather and everyone was like, okay, cool. Like, Paul's like granddaddy, whatever. Um, But it turns out that like that actually like wasn't true. Like, Paul actually isn't the grandfather. Um, Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Little Dog's mom actually told him this first. She's like, oh, by the way, like, Paul isn't your actual grandfather. Like, we just told you that, but, like, that's actually not true. And then, you know, Paul told Little Dog, like, hella later and was like, I I have a confession to make. Like, I'm not your grandfather. And Little Dog was like, (laughs) I actually already knew that. And, like, Slick, I don't really, no one else really fills this slot in my life. So, like, honestly, like, 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 this is fine. Like, nothing, this doesn't really have, like, we don't, we don't need to make it weird, basically. It was like, it doesn't have to be weird. It's fine. Yeah. Yeah. And there is this, like, cute scene. Cute. I mean, racism is happening, so it's not really cute. But, like... Oh, God, um, that white woman? Yeah. Oh, God. Or a little dog is, like, walking through the neighborhood, and this white woman, (laughs) this neighbor, (laughs) is, like... (laughs) She's, like, I don't know, being racist. And then Paul is, like that's my grandson and she's like oh oh i i I really did mean welcome to the neighborhood we're like yeah 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 we all mean welcome to the neighborhood all right we get it but um it's really cute because he says he's his grandfather and it's 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 i mean is he not his grandfather like why because they're not blood related like is this a absentee soldier who has partaken in his life zero percent or the life of his mother or lawns Right. Um, just because he's biologically um, his grandfather, I should say probably not. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, it was just it's a nuanced situation. It's also he does talk about, you know, he thought like if Paul was his grandfather, then he had a connection to America. And, and the whole mm-hmm. story is about this feeling of of wanting to be have an identity that's that one can hold a little bit more securely. And so Paul not being his grandfather kind of dissipates that, like his biological quote-unquote grandfather kind of dissipates that feeling and leaves him in that liminal space that I think the author mm. talks about a lot. And and then, you know, it, the book is about tethering yourself through, like, your own um, telling of your narrative. Okay, right. we're not done with the summary. So anyway, there's a side <laughs> story. <laughs> like, Akka's really just doing whatever she wants. But um, there's a we side story about... Ta- 
about Tiger Woods. And I, we actually learn a lot about Tiger Woods' history, which I, I to the point of the story, Tiger Woods' ident- multi-racial identity is, is quite flattened, right, in the American media. And they talk mm. about this. Um, but but Ocean goes through and kind of explains, like, he's named Tiger because his father, who was a black soldier in Vietnam, had a um, fellow soldier. They were working together. I think that man was... um. Uh, he was like a general or a captain or something Mm -hmm. and they like they were in a firefight together (laughs) and i think the guy whose name they called him tiger as a nickname like looked at him and was like we're gonna get through this and and he's explaining that like you don't have a friend more than someone who you survive a whole night under siege with and Mm. um so he names his son tiger and and he's he's hoping right he's he he thinks like if Tiger becomes famous through this golfing thing, like maybe one day you know he'll see him on TV and 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 be, mm. you know. But but actually, sadly, his friend was captured and died in a prison of war camp. So his father doesn't know that until later. But it's quite tragic. Anyway, there's this kind of adds a section where there's like a little bit of intersectional, um, like people of coloriness <laughs> so people um, of colory <laughs> <laughs> there's a definitely a better word for that isn't it like inter uh, i don't know i don't know anyway. <laughs> they were like the episode was getting too serious oh god <laughs> we started off with the economy of words <laughs> <laughs> and now people of color <laughs> wow that took me out anyway <laughs> okay uh, but anyway so <laughs> a little dog and and i don't want to say solidarity because it's not about it's not a solidarity thing it's just a matter of being in that time space and right. having and becoming american black people are american so in the becoming of american as an immigrant obviously part of that would involve the black experience okay anyway we'll get into that more they go mm-hmm. to a black church and little dog's mom feels this like freedom to like in in the space of like emotional like I, I think everyone's like praying or maybe it's the worship period i don't really remember but mm-hmm. she's like basically breaking down and openly mourning her like absentee father and how he could have left her so and then like what what the hell was he doing or thinking or who is he even you know mm-hmm. and then we also learned that his mother was bullied relentlessly for being mixed for being vietnamese and and half american and part of that you know it's 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 war and that the americans are seen as the enemy and that they are the enemy actually in a lot of ways have brought a lot of violence yeah and so and so and her mother is considered you know in a very derogatory way and quote-unquote sleeping with the enemy Mm. and then there's this also this kind of vignette where i think both his mother and his grandmother are kind of flashing back to moments of violence and so they they run to to go get their aunt Mai uh, uh, because they think that she's currently in an abusive situation but they actually go to the wrong house and they almost nearly get shot by this white man and then i think um grandma lan like remembers like wait isn't aunt Mai like in a different state and then they're both like oh yeah we're both kind of traumatized mm. um so then little dog gets a job at 14 he's this is like in 2003 and he's working on a tobacco farm and it's largely staffed by undocumented immigrants and it's overseen by this white man named Burf- buford mommy's Burford. well his name was mamas mamas huh Mans? okay i don't really know uh, <laughs> I, was, I, was, I remember i was like interesting okay well anyway continue i don't know his name was buford 
And, you know, this is clearly like the remnants of slavery. <laughs> it's right. like this white man with this huge tobacco field underpaying or not paying laborers who are mostly brown. Okay. Uh, it's really dangerous and difficult work and clearly no one's following any like proper work condition regulations. And Little Dog's, because uh, he's 14, you know, and you can't even work in America till you're 15. What? Anyway, um, <laughs> so he's the only <laughs> non-Latino uh, person working there and he meets this boy named Trevor who happens to be Buford's grandson. So they all, the two of them start to talk, you know, start to get to know each other. Mm-hmm. For context, Trevor lives with his, his dad in a mobile home and their relationship is really tenuous since his dad is, it's hinted at that he's quite abusive. Trevor is kind of angsty. He's also quite entitled and pretty toxically <sighs> masculine. So they fall for each other. Or the author falls for Trevor and they bond over their like mutual disdain for their parents and like their philosophical musings about the meaninglessness of life, which is like typical teenager or adult or millennial or every human existence. I don't know. It's like me currently. <laughs> Just like... Right. <laughs> that was me yesterday. Dear oh, fuck. what is life? Um, nihilism, she wrote underscored okay anyway they also bond over 50 cent kind of it feels like a little bit flat um <laughs> of a bond <laughs> i have so many thoughts about that we oh we go talk about yeah, we'll that. talk about it and uh, there's also a lot of drugs oxy weed coke fentanyl don't do fentanyl um and they start sleeping together and little dog kind of realizes he he loves being submissive and trevor is not into recognizing his attractions and is kind of eh, not very understanding entirely. Yes, eh, he's he's okay being the perceived masculine one in the situation. Yeah. He's uh, femphobic, I think, is what I'm trying to get at here. Okay, so anyway, there's more stories about kind of like the abuse the little dog faces and him running away. Like we said, this is kind of a slice of life, so it's not like a linear story. But the Trevor thing is like a pretty decent through line, at least that uh, up until the end of, of part one. So mm-hmm. that's um, where we're going to peter off into a break. And when we come <laughs> back, we will <laughs> discuss our thoughts and feelings. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sounds good. We will see you on a bit. And we're back. We are. Yeah. A little, little chipper after that Um, otherwise uh, pretty... Pretty difficult mm. summary, but um, this book, you know, like like all the books we've been reading, um, we're just going to go into our overall thoughts and then get into the nitty and the gritty. So mm-hmm. I guess I will start. So this book, y'all, is so good. This It's just so good. It's so good. Like, basically, <laughs> I, like, first of all. Hearing that Ocean is a poet surprises literally no one because this book, when I tell nope. you it is poetry, the images in this book are so sharp. The writing is like so poignant. Like there's just so many like m- like lines that would otherwise just be pretty like, you know, like we're just, this is just a random dialogue scene or like whatever is going on here. Like it's just so, the descriptions are just really, really 
lovely. And so just reading it is just like a very yeah. beautiful experience. Like just like I don't, I'm not going to say the economy of words. Um, I'm not going to say that <laughs> at all. But maybe like the market of words. It's just very like ah. sickening and fun. Um, yeah, it's just yeah, <laughs> wonderfully, wonderfully written. I think that the I find that because we're actually um, right now we're reading. Um, well, I guess at the time of this, this recording, we're reading Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, and we're going to be talking about that on another podcast. Stay tuned. Mm-hmm. But basically, I, I've been finding that like this kind of letter motif is also really effective. I just find really, really interesting where it's like you're kind of there's like this long form letter to someone or like of a similar kind of narrative. And it's just really, really effective because I think it it allows for kind of the ethereal kind of lyrical type of writing where you can just like have scenes like interspersed and like i feel like it just gives a lot of permission and so i think it's really effective when like we're seeing like all of these really hard experiences looped in with these like randomly hilarious experiences or these like amorous experiences it's just like i feel like it lends itself really well to that to that form so i just feel like the letter writing piece is really really dope really mm. really dope and you know, I did want to voice, you know, the piece around abuse here um, and sort of what we were saying earlier as far as like kind of its differences in its depictions. Um, Aqua kind of got to this in, in the plot summary, but basically like while those scenes are really fucking hard to read, it's also I think this book does a really good job of just kind of pointing to how exactly what Aqua said, you know, like how systemic violence often kind of permeates into, into into forms of domestic violence, interpersonal violence, and just you see kind of the tie through between like kind of what's going on systemically and what's going on at a more individual basis. Also with it being so intergenerational, you seeing it happen in so many of little of, of the people in Little Dog's life, you see kind of like how cyclical it is as as well. And like mm. I think the book is very it can be very jarring to read. It's it's very intense but it doesn't feel glorified and i think that was sort of like the main difference where Mm -hmm. i'm like okay this feels like a much more responsible depiction here um i think even for example going back to the form piece there will be like a passage talking about like something like pretty regular like you know fun or whatever and then like randomly in the middle there's like just a scene of abuse and you're just like it's like jarring but i think it also kind of points to you know the very nature of like you know things like ptsd like flashbacks like just kind of how quick mm-hmm. and like static those those types of memories can can service for a lot of people and so i don't know i just i, I just felt like that was it was just it, it really called to my attention i definitely have a lot of thoughts around like the whole situation with like trevor and and, and things of that nature mm. but um but i'll just kind of stop there and say yeah this book is really fucking good Akko, what did what did you think about it <laughs> yeah i i agree i think the book is is gorgeous. <laughs> Sorry, hey. a little on the nose, but it, it, it is. It's it's <laughs> it is um, written beautifully, and I think with an intentionality that is very thoughtful. And concerning this person is writing about their own difficult experiences. Brilliant for them to to have the introspection to both write about it and to be able to write the nuance right is is a level of both having experienced it and having thought of it he he says this line where he's like i'm trying to write this to take us somewhere i don't know where but i'm trying to take us somewhere there's this acute awareness that the way he tells Mm -hmm. it makes it something um it strangely reminds me of Himalaya Hilo, where they discuss like okay. that we are someone's ancestors, and this idea of this like reverence for the present as someone in the future would have for us, mm. and 
I think he he understands in the telling of it. And this is, I think, something immigrants feel a lot. In the telling of it, we make it. Because we are on the forefront of this new experience. Because up until this point, we have been something else. We've been in a different country. We have been, we are at the beginning of whatever the future of us becomes. Mm-hmm. We are at the beginning of that. And so how we tell it means what it is. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that both holistically, but also recognizing your own lived experience in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think he does a phenomenal job of of mixing those things together and to your point about um the form the form of a letter mm-hmm. it's brilliant because it's it's it allows for a stream of consciousness that still grounds the reader right and mm-hmm. so the the form makes it conversational and conversations don't have to be linear so like if mm-hmm. i'm talking if you're talking to me or i'm talking to you i mean i just referenced himele ahilo like we read that book two years ago the temporal <laughs> You know, in a letter, it's not a linear story. Just like in a conversation, that things aren't linear. Although we we think mm-hmm. of conversations as linear, they 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 really aren't. <laughs> you know, um, when you're talking to a friend, you'll be like, "Oh, remember when?" And then you're already somewhere else entirely. So mm-hmm. I think the conversational letter format allows for that, which is really really cool. And I think that, and we were talking about this, Marcy and I were. His writing is blunt. It is clear and where it's not clear or where he feels as though he is blurring something because of his own feelings about the matter. He hints that that is what he's doing or Mm -hmm. he is unclear about it himself. And it's such an interesting way that he he does it very poetically because the way he talks about his grandmother and mother are he 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 is he sees them as as people as holistic people. But at the times where he feels like he he can't entirely read them, he mm-hmm. kind of hints at it. I don't know. There's just an awareness there. His double, his dual consciousness, right? He is mm-hmm. very, kind of in the way he talks about having to speak two languages. He also, mm-hmm. he and as a lot of immigrants do, he, he goes through between two paradigms, right? And the way he says, like, his mom only knows Vietnamese up until the second grade. I, I feel like when he hints at these things, he's saying, I, I, I can shift into this paradigm up until this point. But at mm-hmm. this point, after that, I'll, my only paradigm about this is American. And, and you can see that like the first half of the book is mm-hmm. very much in the paradigm of his grandmother, his mother and himself. And he's thinking as they think about Vietnam and about America. But mm-hmm. there's a market change with Trevor and him turning 14 and 15. And at this point, the language becomes American in a way. And I think mm-hmm. a lot of immigrants shift through that. And I, I think it's just really brilliantly written um, mm-hmm. and really amazing. And, and and yeah, so that's my first overall thought about it. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really, really interesting. I love the way you put that. But yeah, I definitely kind of noticed that as well, like that market sort of shift going on and how it feels like it's just really interesting because it's like a part of me almost is like is this like i know the letter was written to like you know to to his mother presumably but like there's something about that that almost was like like in in the scenes with trevor it felt like i don't know trying to convince someone of something and i think it's exactly mm-hmm. what you're speaking to like i feel like in <laughs> little dog kind of in, like interacting with trevor like in those interactions um i feel like there's like 
it's almost like he's trying to convince Trevor of something or like translate himself to yeah. Trevor in some ways. Like it feels like it, it, it feels I feel like the, the weight of some emotional labor in those conversations that feels like you're doing a lot of work to code switch. Like I feel like basically that's essentially what yeah. I'm getting at. Like I feel like that, like you can kind of feel that in how it's narrated. Um, yeah, it's, it's just really, really poignant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're, you're, well, I don't think you are right regardless what of, of what I think about it. But um, the thing that I think you're touching on that I, I really feel feel too as an immigrant is, is um, you know, it's almost like you don't have the definition of American, right? Like, and particularly when we look at Trevor, like the idea is Trevor is American. Not even just, he's almost a caricature. <laughs> like he's like, more honestly. American, quote, right? Like the right. Paul is in the story. Like he's almost a caricature of American. And, and, and to be on the other side of that as an immigrant American is, and especially if you grew up in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, it's to be like, I have to appeal to Americanness to to stake my case for why I am also very American, mm. or why my experience doesn't make me other, and and you and you think that because there is a collective idea of what who whose identity is the true quote unquote American identity. And obviously, this is false. Mm. And it was part of the point of what he's writing, right? That these they, this identity of Americanness is already complicated by all of first of all the imperialism that america does <laughs> like right. he is he is by default american and he was before he was even born you know right because mm-hmm. americans empire stretched so far out and the reason he is here is because of america's behavior and so and so for for america to be like this is what america is and this isn't when in fact those pieces are what allows america to be what it is in the first place um, mm-hmm. I, I mean just look at the farm like <laughs> The farm would not run without the black and brown people who were working on it. The system would not work if they were not there. And so why right. are they not American? Like, you see what I'm saying? So it's like, right. so there's this appeal because there's this idea of the authority of the default. And he struggles with that. I can see when he's trying to become in his American identity. And we talked about this too, because there's some odd points in the book where you feel like a moment of like, that's an that's an interesting way to describe. Right someone like he when he suddenly just like calls someone a crackhead and i was like obviously as a black american i'm like that's a loaded term (laughs) or like the way he talks about 50 cent you're like interesting and and it's and it's it's this sort of like when you like wade and the like miasma of america right like Mm -hmm. in that miasma is like racism and sexism all these things that you it's almost like you take them in and you're becoming as you try to become Mm. quote-unquote american and you're you know it's kind of a complicated thing to say and i think he catches him himself most of the time in most of his imaginings but not entirely right (laughs) he doesn't entirely catch himself it's almost impossible to because america is so you know and and his love i think also his love for trevor sort of gives him some like spots he doesn't see clearly um Mm, definitely 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 yeah i am really happy you said all of that i think the 50 cent piece was really interesting because essentially to, to kind of like flesh out what we're talking about so trevor and little dog like will randomly like spew out like 50 cent lyrics or like listen to 50 cent and like 50 cent is like this kind of like musical backdrop of their relationship Mm. and stuff and so it's kind of like a point that they can always go back to to like be like, yeah, we're connecting with one another, but we're also like masculine and like whatever, whatever. Right. And so there's 
in, in, in that is imbued sort of this idea of like sort of black masculinity and like, you know, that kind of being this form of, I don't know, this really high form of masculinity that one needs to kind of like emulate or at least have be able to kind of like find some like find some level of access within it to like kind of i don't know appease to one's own individual Mm -hmm, whatever the fuck mm -hmm. and on top of that i feel like um it's interesting because i recently i was watching this video by well i'm gonna cite the person and put her uh video link in the show notes because i just find it was really interesting but there was a youtube creator who she had a video about this idea of digital blackface and basically she was kind of talking about Mm. like she throughout her video essay she talked about just sort of like the history of minstrelsy in the u.s and actually in canada as well i want to say and then basically kind of talked about the various tropes within minstrelsy like who were the different like archetypal characters and how in a Mm. lot of sort of the online meme culture sort of like gif culture like how often we see that like black people are typically the ones being depicted oftentimes by non-black people as well and sort of like how Mm. black black people and their faces their their expressions their experiences become sort of this cultural landing pad for like emotional labor into like how to express Mm -hmm. thoughts but in the same time also makes them the caricature also makes them the butt of the joke Mm -hmm. and so like it was just it was a very very fascinating video and like in watching that and then reading this like somewhat soon thereafter it just it it was giving that a little bit of how like black people black culture is kind of considered just like up for grabs so to speak like there's no sort of like in in a in a mainstream sense sort of like sense of like oh this culture is sacred we need to like handle this responsibly but it's it's seen as like oh like gaining proximity to black culture and like being able to like replicate elements of it can like heighten one sense of like i guess being considered like cool or like i don't know like mm-hmm. relevant or like youthful or like whatever but at the same time there's like this mocking of it as well right and so it's, it's not a true sense of empowerment it's sort of like a it's almost like this like weird racist ironic joke that like the culture is like people are just in on and it's just like what the fuck that's a whole like piece and i'm sure people what's that i was gonna say or at least in this book it comes off as an unexamined disregard exactly and so it's kind of like it's very interesting how even the nuances of that are kind of brought in as well when we kind of think of this sort of like assimilationist type Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. piece where like little dog's trying to find himself legible with this rep this relationship with trevor and how that is also kind of like done at the expense of black people it's just just very very Mm -hmm. interesting and i'm sure like Mm -hmm. some people are like okay that was a stretch if i've heard one but like Mm -hmm. i i really i do i'm a i'm a stand by that because i do feel like that nuance was definitely captured yeah and i don't even think it's there's it's not a stretch because like i said it's some it's water that you wade in america is so and then and, and there's a later part. I was talking to Marcy about this too. I was like, I'm pretty sure Trevor doesn't like women. Like I, 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 mm-hmm. I do feel like the little dog has a respect for women, regardless of the hardship his mother and grandmother have, have put him in particular through. I do not think Trevor has that. I think Trevor is raised in the American idea of sexism and, 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 and perpetuates that. What the author does really well is he captures the, um, the emotional, I how do I say this like temperature of places not necessarily judging them which mm-hmm. is you it's neither in here nor there maybe sometimes you should judge the temperature but that's not his point in this right his point isn't to judge it is to tell and mm-hmm. so in in capturing the emotional temperature the water that we wade in in America it is in fact true that part of that water is this sort of cultural capital of of use of of not black people as people but as 
for a purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And then that same flattening is the undocumented workers who are working on this tobacco farm, mm -hmm. right? There and and he does, and this is what I mean by when he is not seeing things clearly, he points it out to you. There's a point where he's. This might be later than what we've read, but he was like, "I'm acutely aware that the experience I was able to have with Trevor is because he is white and because he his family owns this farm." Like, yeah, I yeah, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so he's aware that like this gorgeousness, <laughs> this peace of mind, has everything to do with the privilege. Of whiteness. And then in that, he might be misunderstanding, the, the not misunderstanding, but but, it, but he's being honest. Like He's in his feelings about mm -hmm. the situation. And I think it yeah. parallels with his grandmother and Paul, right? She's acutely mm -hmm. aware, her more than anyone, her more than Paul, that she is mm -hmm. only able to be in the space with him because of maybe perhaps one, that she's beautiful, and two, that he's American and the privileges yeah. that come with that. Like, I think... So I, I don't think you're inaccurate in your description. Um, and I don't think perhaps it was not consciously written, but he is at least aware of the subconsciousness mm -hmm. that like the temperature of America creates. Okay, let's move on. Um, <laughs> I think we covered a lot about Americanness and the, and the pain. And, and, and I think, yeah, I just want to touch on the fact, the way that imperialism... Uh, the way that the American empire spreads out further than the country. And so when those pieces of the American empire or the Americans' actions bring the diaspora into it, there's this I sense, right, that our Americanness is, is somehow different, if you want to identify that as that. But it's not, right? Mm. Um, and then, so I thought that that was, that's interesting. Yeah, I think... Um, I want to talk about this monkey for a second. We don't have to go okay. into it too deep because it's kind of a lot. Mm -hmm. But um, he talks a lot about monkeys in the story <laughs> and people as monkeys and monkeys mm -hmm. as people. And I, at first I was like, what are we doing here? But I kept reading it. And I was like, I get it. He, his point one was to say that we think we're so high minded. But I think you learn in the stories of war and violence that people are actually very primitive um, mm -hmm. but the thing, the interesting thing, so not to get too much in the story about the monkey, but the monkey is having its brain eaten while it's alive. I don't know the accuracy of this story. I don't know. I'm not even going to get into it, but I think as a metaphor, mm -hmm. I really found it interesting because the way we consume people while they live, mm. um, and needing to consume people for our own sense because they're they're eating this monkey's brain so they become more potent like what yeah, like, <laughs> so, so you're absurd. first of all we don't know if that will work one like is this <laughs> like, canon where's the research <laughs> nothing that research yeah. is the only thing that can back knowledge but where is it like truly <laughs> like you took some anecdotal evidence maybe Two, the, um, the 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 state that left this monkey in to do this is atrocious right. three like it just is so absurd like it's so absurd mm. And and it made me really think about the wars that that people cause, right? And they're usually, typically, for a reason that no one's really sure if that will actually happen if they do it. One, right. two, it, it does require the consumption of people while they live, um, mm. whether it's it's someone like Lon or 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 Paul, who's a soldier, or anyone of the school being bombed and multiple people who lost their lives. It's to be consumed while you're alive is not an uncommon phenomenon for mm. people. And I think that's a very 
stark and harsh metaphor, but that is true in littler ways in America. Like his bully, him being bullied is to be consumed while alive. And I think mm. there's something Americans do, or maybe people do, or maybe people with privilege do, where we consume people while alive and we have a, a, a disregard for that. And I found that metaphor really, really poignant. So I don't know why I said, let's talk about it. Akko just like pontificated about it. What do you think, Marcy? <laughs> Well, Marcy just like observed politely and just nodded occasionally. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, I I also thought that that scene was really wild. I'm okay. First of all, I'm just like very squeamish in general. Like I just I can't do gore. Mm. Like you can't do gore. And so like reading that, I was like, I am disgusted. I'm disgusted. I don't like this. Mm. Um, and it's so it, it was interesting for a number of reasons. First of all, I feel like Lon entering the situation was like a really interesting kind of disruption of the space because it's like kind of going back to what you said, right? Like it's like there's this idea that like, oh, we're so high and mighty and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But like in the base of all of of a lot of, you know, just America as an empire, like just the behavior that's exhibited is just often very, like the same things that we would call like barbaric if done, you know, by other sort of powers at play and things of that nature. So having mm-hmm. Lon kind of come in and observe this ritual that like otherwise would have just like kind of gone on uninterrupted, just like existing, mm. And, like, pointing it out for what it is, I feel like there's almost, like, a spotlight moment of, like, we, when we don't call name to things or we don't give language to things and if things operate kind of, like, under the rug, so to speak, like, there can be, it allows it to kind of, like, take form in really, like, pernicious ways. And so to have it be kind of observed by someone else, it's just really interesting. So that was, that was fascinating. Then I also thought that, like, also the monkey, similarly to, to what you were saying as far as, like, eating someone while they're, like, while they're alive, like... The monkey doesn't have a name, you know? Like, the monkey doesn't have Mm-mm. characterization. The monkey doesn't have a personality. It's just, like... I mean, the monkey could have literally just... any, any it just, it just as easily been, like, any other creature. Like, the monkey's body being there also while alive was only to just add, like, sort of some semblance of shock value or, like, just to add to, like, the egregiousness of what was taking place. But, like... Yes. Frankly, it could have been anything else. And I just thought that that was also very, like... Mm-hmm. Kind of the... It's not even, like, a dehumanized because, like, the monkey... Like, a monkey's not a person. But, like... Right. It's very interesting. And I think especially there's, um, when we think of like, you know, global imperialism, how that intersects with racism, you know, sort of this idea of reducing people to to primates, calling them primitive, you know, like, the, mm-hmm. I think that is a notion that you find across a lot of groups of people. And so it's kind of like, it's just, it, 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 the, the metaphor of a monkey specifically being used, which is really, I, I right. think that that wasn't lost on me either. And so... Definitely. It's tough. Well, I didn't realize I had thoughts on the monkey scene. I was just like, ugh, gross. Turn page. <laughs> and now I'm like, wait, I actually had a lot of thoughts on that. But yeah, so those are just some things that kind of call out to me when we, um, when, when, when that scene kind of came up. But yeah, it's just very, yeah, it's just a lot. And, and again, just for the sim, like, to, 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 I think also, oof, I'm popping off, but like, you know, this idea of like, okay, I'm going to eat this monkey's brain because like I'm impotent and I don't want to be like, it just, it, it goes mm. back to the sense of like honoring some semblance of like some fleeting sense of like masculinity, this idea right. of like the intersection of like sort of like, like a white hegemonic sense of masculinity with like sexual Ooh. prowess and like having to, and, and domination yep. at the same time. Right. And so it's like, there's this domination act that's going towards the monkey, which would in turn allow for like some aiding of a sexual ability to, to then go back to one sense of masculinity it's just it's like this weird cycle of fuckery that i'm like that's so wild and like in that kind of when we look at just 
war in general as a concept, how so much of it can be traced back to like, you know, socializations around masculinity, how violence and domination, all these different things are lauded as how one kind of performs this sort of gender energy. And so it's just very interesting how like all of that was happening in the context of war. Very interesting. Wow. Hmm. Okay, Ocean. Okay. (laughs) I like see what you did or whatever. Well, this is what, you know, and this is when someone is doing like um, a a queer literary criticism. It's not just about sexuality, which would be perfectly fine if it was just about sexuality. But a queer Mm -hmm. literary criticism is to ask questions about gender in its entirety, right? And the way it affects and, and perpetuates and lives in us in its entirety. And so... He is talking about his individual queer experiences, his his subdom dynamics with America. But he's also talking about it kind of like when I say like little P and capital P patriarchy, which is like colonization and like white supremacy and like homophobia, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the mm. violence that hurts everyone, including men, male identified people or masculine people. But to your point, it it, it is so wild that that toxic masculinity requires <laughs> so much to keep up something that is so useless like so we're going to cut open a monkey's head and eat its brain to to achieve what exactly they're like well we'll be potent and you and because you're potent you're going to do what and they're like well i'm i'm what (laughs) like you've thought this two steps and you're you're priced (laughs) it's just it's it's so much and you're like you know there are other people who aren't eating monkey brains who are who are perfectly potent like even if potency was the penultimate important thing about being alive. You do know like you don't even need to do that <laughs> Which to it is not. <laughs> right, which is not. But like even if it were, like this is a very egregious thing to do to get to that point <laughs> anyway. And I think we underestimate how much people do things so short-sightedly and so costly. Like mm-hmm. because of this sort of myopic view of the world, this selfishness, this, this un- examined desire and of course all these other factors that are affecting them and 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 the traumas and the fears they feel as well but i think that what's interesting too is that what's happening to this monkey i think caused more of a visceral reaction than violence that happens to people (laughs) Mm. i really think that and so it's almost like he he, ocean had to, to talk about a monkey because if i think we almost we might not get the same visceral reaction which is yeah disturbing but um because I, and I think it's not because we don't think humans are human. It's because we, we underestimate. Um, I think strangely, it still goes back to Himalaya Hilo, where it's like, could you have a reverence for the now? Could you have the reverence for the person across from you in the present? Right. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. I think there's a lot here about submission and such. So I think we should, and BDSM. So I think we should talk about it, unless we don't want to, because then we don't have to. What did you think, Marcy? (laughs) Let's do it. Um, I think this is actually a great segue to talk also just about the writing, because I was like, the writing is so good. Ooh, these lines, and then like read no lines. (laughs) So I'm going to actually start this by just reading a quote um, that was Mm. in the sex scene between Little Dog and Trevor that I just, I think also speaks to the writing, but also I think it is a really good place to, to start this conversation. So... I get so excited talking about books. I'm just like, wow, like, if this was just my job, <laughs> I would live. Um, okay. Uh, Abed, what page would this be on? 
Boop, boop, boop. If you hear pages turning, it's because, you know, I support my local library. You should be doing that too. Anyway. Ooh, okay. I love this. Okay, sorry. So, <laughs> this, so like, that wasn't like shade. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, please don't take it. Yeah. <laughs> no, we love you, you should anyway, support your um, local libraries. That's, that's a good thing to do. It's, it's actually really important. You should, and they're a great resource and they're lovely. And most librarians are kind of dope. So, you know, that there's it? also that. Ain't that it? No, I I be kicking in with the library, like librarians, mm. like they're just super late. Unless, um, <laughs> unless you're fighting about Mexican gothic, right? <laughs> oh yeah, like there was. <laughs> I had some drama last year with my local library. We were like oh beefing for a little bit, but like we like we squashed it. You know, we like all came together and just like had a mediation. It was fine. I'm so um, dead. <laughs> it, shout out if you remember any of that. If you're like new and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, hi, I'm Marcy. Okay, so let's just read this quote. So basically, yeah. So like Trevor and Low Dog were like, fucking. And this came up. <clears throat> this is from Little Dog's perspective. So he writes, Because submission, I soon learned, was also a kind of power. To be inside of pleasure, Trevor needed me. I had a choice, a craft. Whether he ascends or falls depends on my willingness to make room for him. For you cannot rise without having something to rise over. Submission does not require elevation in order to control. I lower myself. I put him in my mouth to the base, and peer up at him, my eyes a place he might flourish. After a while, it is the cocksucker who moves, and he follows. When I sway this way, he swerves along, and I look up at him as if looking at a kite, his entire body tied to the teething world of my head. So, first of all, um, I was not lost on the, I put him in my mouth up down to the base, fuck it up, go ahead, little dog, like, I see you, <laughs> you better fuck it up. So first, that. <laughs> Second, um, <laughs> second, I I thought that was really interesting because I, this is, I have a lot, I have, I have so many thoughts around this. So I, I completely agree. I think that we, there is a very kind of problematic belief that like to be dominant and submissive, like it, it, it translates to like who has power or who has a agency in, in a situation, like a sexual situation like this. Like, like I'm, we're talking specifically, you know, consensual mm. sexual acts and things of that nature. And I think that is something that I've always kind of taken umbrage with because I'm like, that's not, that's not true. There's a lot more nuance to it. And I think that we can have a whole conversation around, I think, especially when we look at like queer communities, like this idea of like bottom shaming or like being femphobic, like kind of like culturally disrespecting someone who's seen as more of like the, I guess the receptive partner, so to speak, and, and things of that nature. And like, I feel like that's fucked up. And I just, I loved him bringing voice to this and bringing and, and speaking to the to the to the power in submission and like also i am someone who without going to like a bunch of details because you're all like you're my book club friend but why am i nervous okay it's fine um so i'm someone who like also kind of like dabbles in sort of like the kink space and you know bdsm and things of that nature and like i would say that i'm someone who's probably more kind of on a dominant side of things and it's, it's really interesting because sort of like in my own interper like my own embodied life I've, I've very much felt this where it's like you know socially someone could zoom out of this scene and be like oh this person's in control this person is like has all the power whatever whatever but in actually embodying it and in, in participating in these types of scenes like you very much firsthand realize like I only can move as far as this person is willing to take me right like it's like this is not like I am not like this person really they, they they control the all of this right and so it's kind of like it's like i'm sort of like 
mm. a willing facilitator in this, but like it really is a dance, and it really is kind of like each like there the, the, this idea that like power is only held by one person is like very much not the case at all, and so I feel like that's something that I have felt being like this is really really interesting, and then so seeing that kind of written out, I was like. Okay, I love that there's language for this. I love that this is a conversation going on because like we really do need to kind of mm. challenge that assumption, right? Because I think at the base of it, you find a lot of sexist, homophobic, like just awful pieces that I'm like this is not this is this this should not be at the base of what would otherwise mm-hmm. be a more kind of innovative, customized um sort of creative sexual experience. And so, yeah, so those are sort of my thoughts on that. Yeah. What did you think, Akko? Oh, thank you. Oh, you threw it to me. Oh, so nice. Um, <laughs> sorry. Um, I agree with you. I wanted to say a couple of things. One, I think power is a dynamic. It's a conversation. It's not a, well, that's why you call it a power dynamic. But dynamic means it's in motion. It's not, it's not static, right? It moves, flows. So at any given point in a conversation where power is being exchanged, it, it moves back and forth between whoever's right and so it cannot be done without another person his very point he says it his point is simple you cannot (laughs) dominate someone who is not there to be dominated (laughs) right right that would be an impossibility um and so and so it requires someone to be there and 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 in that you and not just be there but to participate and not just participate but to hold on to the space and to be like I said, to make space, to be the vulnerability. In Giovanni's room, Giovanni makes the same line. He's like, you hurt me so deeply. Do you think you could have hurt me like that if I did not love you? And he's right. Like, mm. to disregard, to dismiss, to harm, you have to have something to harm. You have to mm. abuse something of value. To conquer, there must be something of value for you to take. You do not just conquer nothing. Right. <laughs> you just take nothing. And basically what you've done is is disrespected and disregarded that thing of value that you so crave. It's, it's, it's kind of like looking at a flower, taking the flower and being like, this flower is beautiful, and then crushing it. Mm-hmm. It's like when... Um, I think someone said like, oh, they don't know how to hold beautiful things. It's like the only thing you know how to do with this because you will lack control because your your idea of masculinity is so fucked up that you don't understand that the masculinity would actually be to keep that thing precious, gorgeous. The mm. only thing you know how to do in your resentment is to take and dismantle it <laughs> because mm. you are so afraid of how much you are in submission to it in your dominance. And then you're afraid of that. <laughs> you're afraid of that feeling. So you need right. to destroy it. But instead, if you could just be in it and be in it and have that strength, it would be wonderful, which I think is Marcy's point. Um, yeah. But also, I, I, I mean, and there's so much to learn from BDSM and that exchange and kink and that exchange of energies. Um, there's nothing to be nervous. I mean, ner- of course, you're allowed to feel your feelings. Marcy is <laughs> allowed to be nervous. But the, uh, kink and, and, and BDSM have this conversation about power and the flow of power. Well, yeah, I know. I know a lot of people abuse the space, too, so I don't want to undermine. Yeah, that. But, that, that, that. Ooh, man. <laughs> Humans just, we can't. <laughs> this is why we can't have nice things. But right. um, and, and, and to your point about being femphobic and, and sexist, right? Like this idea, if women hold this status or this place, in particular historically as the people who receive and violence mm-hmm. is done to them, sex is done to them, and this idea that there is no strength in that. There's only strength in the men so that women need men to have any level of strength. Mm. 
it's inaccurate. <laughs> and it's a, it's a flattening. It's a diminishment that is required for someone to feel a certain way. But it is right. not, it's never been true. It has never been true. Ask any, it's so funny. I was talking to Marcy earlier. I was like, sometimes like, man, really just be forgetting that women are people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like, you should just be a fixture in my life. You should just be something that receives me. And you're just like, you have, in the diminishment of me, you've actually diminished yourself. Because now mm-hmm. the possibilities of our communications have flattened into one or two pathways mm. similarly with 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 little dog in this situation he understands the possibilities of the situation the complexities and the nuances and the and the 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 limitations of it because he's the one who has to hold that space right. um and it's something done lovingly and giovanni says the same thing okay anyway so that's that is my feelings on that scene. I think it's and 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 I think that translates from the personal to the um the global, right? It is not mm-hmm. the case that other that people are winning or losing, quote unquote, because they're mm-hmm. just so great. <laughs> they're just so amazing. <laughs> uh, it, typically, it's it's the exploitation, mm-hmm. the exploitation of of the nuance and the complexity of things that allows someone the disregard too that allows somebody to dominate um mm. and that's why it's such a fragile thing and that's why people right. get so scared and hold on to it so tightly because they know that's an ill-gotten gain and that it's right. they know that whoever they've taken it from has more power than they do um right exactly. anyway so exactly and i who oh, i love that and 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 kind of going back to sort of the immediate like um like in a, in a sexual sense, t- kind of talking about this idea of dominant submission, um, exactly to your point, like, it's like, I'm sorry, do you think, to, like, to, to be to be someone that is able to sort of like, not only hold space, but to sort of like, in like, to, to absorb like, that, kind of that kind of energy to be able to like, be, I don't know, I, I feel like when I think about this, I think a lot about just this idea of, I guess, um, and this, I'm not sure if this is like, the best way of thinking about it, but like, just sort of this idea of like having like this 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 sort of endurance like this this ability to kind of like like in this sexual setting like i'm like you know i'm setting the space i'm like kind of setting the tone i'm like you know i i am here like this is this would not be able to happen without me so first and foremost that and then also being able to to like take whatever folks are giving or like whatever is taking place like i just feel like that's also like this idea of mm-hmm. strength is so silly and just like clearly inaccurate because it's like there is like so much i would argue more strength in being able to do that than to be able to i think especially when we talk about how it intersects with masculinity like there's like like they like there's like such a how do i put this like like trevor being like i'm going to you know be the more quote dominant person in the sexual situation and then later we, we didn't really talk about this but like there was a scene where, um, you know, little dog wanted to like top Trevor, but then Trevor was like, oh my gosh, like, I feel like a girl and like, I can't do this. And like, oh my God, like, I, like just freaked the fuck out. And it was just like a lot. And like, it's just like you, it just points to like, there's no, like, like what exactly is the strength in that? <laughs> you know, like, it's like, where, like, mm-hmm. where is it there? Right. And it's like, like, there's not. Like you're just kind of going along with whatever the rituals of the society or the zeitgeist is telling you to be, and like I just feel like that's not. 
yeah, I mean, masculinity, y'all talking about strength all the time. Like, where's the strength exactly in that? We're having no ability to hold space to to absorb folks' energy and things of that nature. It's just, yeah, I find that, yeah. I, I just find that really, really interesting. So, yeah, and I think I think actually have a, like a fine relationship with like femme and mask energy. I, I'm fine with both of them, and I, I think if you picture them like a bunch of paintbrushes, and each paintbrush is good at doing different things. Mm-hmm. But it's not like one paintbrush looks at another paintbrush and is like, you you suck. <laughs> You're a terrible paintbrush. You're like, man, mm-hmm. we're all just trying to paint this picture. Like, why are you coming for me? Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And I I feel like an unhealthy masculine. Not the paintbrush is beefed. Like. I don't, yeah. <laughs> why are they talking? Like, Akko, also, where did this metaphor come from? Like, <laughs> But, um, <laughs> and the point is to say that masculine, healthy masculinity is, is a beautiful thing, right? Mm-hmm. And, it, and it does particular things. A healthy dom is a beautiful thing. Just like a healthy sub is a beautiful thing. They're all beautiful. They're all they're all um, instruments in an orchestra. They play in in tandem with each other, and they all have their own strengths. But the problem is when your strength only comes from the diminishment. Not only when it comes at all from diminishment of others, right? And then you don't even recognize—it's a disregard. You don't even recognize what value they bring right. in their behavior. And so that you both, Audre Lord says that both you need and also disregard that which emotions. She was talking specifically about emotions, but it was in the femme masculine dynamic as well. And mm. also, I want to point out that just because you're a woman doesn't mean you have to be a sub. I don't think I said that earlier, but I do just want to point that out. Um, oh, that In part, case it was yes. hidden. Um, at, um, at all. So, and you don't have to be, no one has to be anything. <laughs> we can all do whatever we want um, with conscious understanding of other people. Okay. I wanted to talk about, do you mind if I step to the right for a mm-hmm. second? Yeah. Um, there's a line that the author writes that I really love. So here's a quote. And he says, there's two. He says, to be or not to be, yes, that is the question. A question, yes, but not a choice. I, I think it goes along with this briefly gorgeous thing. On Earth, we're briefly gorgeous because we, we don't really choose to be alive when we're born. We mm-hmm. don't ever choose to have to have lived at all, right? <laughs> we, it, mm. That is completely out of our hands. And so he says, but but in the flattening, that, that the consumption of us or the creation of us, of, of, of what humans are um, to be, you know, what are we? We all talk mm-hmm. about becoming and to be. And I think that's what it is. This sort of definition of ourselves. To be or not to be, that's the question. And what to be. And so mm-hmm. he has another line where he says, days I feel like a human being, while other days I feel more like a sound. I touch the world not as myself, but as an echo for who I was. Can you mm-hmm. hear me yet? Can you read me yet? And I think this all comes together in him trying to say, I want to be, I want to become as I as I see myself, like as mm-hmm. not as a caricature or and I don't want he doesn't want his parents to be a character. He doesn't want his grandmother to be a character. But he and, and he because he has this other line where he says, I'm trying to write us. I'm taking us somewhere, but I don't know where. It's such a pure form of to me. That is the definition of love like this. I'm, I'm trying to become with you in conscious understanding of you without making you a caricature, without making you less, without consuming mm. you. And I don't know where that takes us but i'm willing i'm willing to see where that where that goes and i 
it's so beautiful for someone to to do that and i and, and there's something he this immigrant flavor of it of of wanting to both defend and condemn your parents at the same time and and not knowing entirely how to write them because not having entirely a view of of how you should be written and and knowing mm. that the majority culture doesn't see anything they don't see any of this internal chaos they just see you as a merely as a statistic that's like been flattened <laughs> but you have to like you are doing that yeah. work to be human like and he does it in this book so poetically i i i just when he says that i was like i i i do hear you and and you're legible to me and and, and in your legibility i find bits of myself and i really think that's dope um, um so 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 anyway that's he writes so beautifully that inspires you to like think beautifully too so that's that was my only no there was one more thing he has this other line where he says when does a war end when it, can i say your name and have it mean only your name and not what you left behind mm. oh <laughs> it's my just God. you feel it you feel it the history uh, you and um, you as an embodiment of of everything that's happened um you only existing in the space as you are because of some type of conflict or war right but right. for this disruption i would not be in the space and therefore that that disruption is in by identity and what does that mean and so that right. you and i can't even just be you and me we're you and me plus everything that's happened but mm. but maybe that's true of everyone and no we just don't have to think about it for other people who knows who knows anyway that's my thoughts on it marcy did yeah. you have any other thoughts any extra thoughts? Um, mm-hmm. I would say I think we're I think we're good. Yeah, I think I covered pretty much everything I wanted to to say. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I guess I, I mean the the only remaining thought is just like kind of going back to the beginning piece of this book is so good. Okay, this, <laughs> this is like less like on a like just like a reader experience piece, like in the same way that like. Ghost Bride by Yang Zichu. I like could not put that shit down. I could not put that oh, shit down. So if yeah. anyone is like, please, like, really wants to read this shit, highly, highly recommend it. I'm not even mm-hmm. done with it, but uh, just get it and read it because it's good. And it's like not super long. So, like, ah, no. Love that. Yeah. But. It's, it's, it's a fast read. Um, okay. If you want to tell us about how we pontificated beautifully, or, you know, it went on a little long, you can get us at our Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to tell us that we completely missed the point of the book, you know what? Instagram <laughs> at these color pages or email us these color pages at gmail.com. And I know this is wild, but we have a website. Yep. That's right. These colored pages.com. Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> All of those resources do indeed exist. And, you know, if this show brought you any love... Well, actually, first of all, before I even get into all that, we read it to, like, page, like, 127. Yeah, we, like, literally never we said did. when we read till. So, we like, did. LOL. Yeah, so that was... um. So thanks at the end of the episode, us <laughs> now telling you that information. <laughs> Anywho, if this show brought you any love, light, delight, mm, yes, what was that? Poetry, because what is this book? Uh. Also poetry, yes. <laughs> Leave us some love wherever you're listening to this podcast. You know, we like it could be Apple Podcasts uh, or not, but you know, we love a comment. We love a rating. We, we love a review. Like, 
Certainly leave us some love wherever you listen to the show. Also, if you just really like this episode and you're like, you know what my peers around me need? They need a conversation around talking toothbrushes, talking about like <laughs> kinks, like, like getting into all the nitty and gritty of this book. Like, just send them the link to this episode. Literally no context. Like, just like send them there the link go. and then just take your phone and just throw it into traffic. Like, just don't <laughs> even like just completely forget about it and just send that along because we certainly love, you know, just any any inklings to spread the show, to, to spread the word and things of that nature. Um, and also, you know, next time we're going to be getting into part two of On Earth We Were Briefly Gorgeous. And like, you know, we might have like a little, you know, like a little surprise, Ooh. like Loki, like, you know, we, 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 I just, uh, yeah, so like there's like, we, there's a little surprise for part two, for part two. So look forward <laughs> to that or not. So anywho, let us conclude here. But yes, Akko, is there anything else we should leave our listeners with before we head out? <laughs> I feel like there are ending just got high key chaos, but um <laughs> no, um just remember until we see you next time, just remember to stay, stay colorful. colorful.